Welcome to We Only Talk Hockey. I'm Shane, and with me as always is Mike. Um, it's been a busy week. Uh, some teams getting eliminated, some series going certain ways. So we're just going to jump right into the Central. And first, we're going to be talking about the Canes and the Preds, who um, series to me has been a lot closer than I expected it to be going in. I think a lot closer than I think a lot of us expected. And yeah, yeah, you it's it was just a great, great three consecutive overtime games could have gone either way. We could be arguing the series already being over, but if the overtimes would have gone the, the hurricanes way, all three, but yeah, th- it's been, I, I agree. Like, sorry, you can go, yeah, it's go fine. Ahead. Um, I actually think this speaks to something we've seen across the playoffs so far because one of our biggest things about the canes was as of late, they could not score, and we said that about two or other three two or other three teams. We um, we said it about the Islanders. We said it about Nashville. They all teams have had issues scoring and outside of Nashville, but even them have scored. Sorry, not Nashville. That's who we're talking about at this moment. Um, the Canadians, um, yeah. all three, we talked about having issues scoring and even the Canadians have looked a little better, but like the Islanders and the Canes have looked or, and the Predators oh. have looked really much better on the scoring and so i think we all underestimated the playoffs and how much harder people play i think it's interesting you mentioned the islanders and the penguins we'll get to that in a second but like my big takeaway isn't necessarily that the hurricanes are struggling to score as much as my takeaway from the series is that i think the hurricanes are still the better team but this is what's big about the playoffs is the Predators aren't necessarily better than the Hurricanes, but they match up very well with the Hurricanes, particularly you say Saros gives that offense a tough time in the net. And uh, you look at their defense. It's just, it, it basically in the past three games, the three games that have gone into overtime, uh, the Predators have forced overtime and they've won two of them. You look at, defensively they cut off a they've cut off a lot of passing lanes that the like the Panthers like to get those cross ice passes in the and it's it's a over underlying less than I think we've seen throughout the playoffs and the the Predators Hurricanes is a good example where teams aren't necessarily better but they match up very well with what they do and then it's like oh my god they're actually going to give them a good series because they have they have their number in terms of what they what they want to what they want to get done and then by default, the Hurricanes have to have to adjust, which I think we saw a little bit of that in the recent game. But like they're gonna game six, they're gonna have to come out differently with different uh, method methods of finding the back of the net because what they're doing right now, I guess you could say, just yeah. I working I also them. don't want to understate the fact that the last beside uh, outside of tonight, the previous two games that the Predators won were in Nashville, and I think a lot of us discounted home ice advantage because of the way the year's been but with teams getting fans back they could actually boost a team even more significantly than we would see in a normal year having fans in the stadium and just in general being on their own ice and i do think there was some of that um so it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow back in nash uh not tomorrow what happens in the net in game six back in Nashville. Yeah. We're recording. I think it's Tuesday at like at midnight or 1am, but yeah, uh, just as a preference for anyone who listens at some point, but uh, 
it, yeah, home home ice is so much. It's so much. I know you notice. I mentioned. I think I mentioned to someone the difference between all the other big four sports and the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. You could tell the difference between last year. It was an empty empty arena. You could hear the echo of the puck uh, hitting the boards or hitting a stick or hitting the ice even. And you compare that to this year where you just have like arenas that may not be full, but are pretty close to full. And they're just not even that they're raucous. Their fans are so yeah. Fans are so happy to be back. And that's the biggest thing. And that's why I agree with you. I think as opposed to many sports, this uh, is outside of maybe baseball because it's fields are drastically actually built differently. But it's because the atmosphere, hockey so much plays on momentum and atmosphere because of the way it's a free-flowing game. And so if the crowd is silent, it like, for most players, they talk about it, it affects them. You know, it's yeah. it, it gets in their head a little bit. Um, a great example of that is the Vegas game uh, the other night, but we'll get to that later. But yeah, so I agree. The Predators have given them a better series. They match up really well. But ultimately, like you've seen it, you saw it uh, tonight. You see it, you know, you've seen it, that eventually the cracks in the armor of of what they've been able to do to the Canes do show. And I think ultimately that's going to be it. But it's definitely, you know, I didn't see this going to six. I saw five really honestly is the maximum. I agree. It was like we were looking at five, and this could go, still go seven just because the the uh, the Predators had their number. And I think also on the, I mean, and on the offensive end of the ice, like uh, they have, they, I mean, Jacob Slavin missed the games two, three, and four, I believe. I think it was two, three, and four he missed. He came back for game five, but he missed those middle games. You could tell that he was, that his presence was missed. And the the predators are able they're able to get some shots on net they're able to get crash towards the net and it's something we haven't really seen against the hurricanes defense this whole this whole season but they're figuring they they've figured out how to how to score and how to defend the hurricanes it's going to be interesting to see what game six provides as they probably will do and the other making thing adjustments i think you know is the goaltending you know saurus has been really really good yeah. so has uh so is Carolina's goaltending, but Carolina's goalie is a rookie. It's he's, you know, he doesn't have as much experience and in the playoffs, you know, it happens. So even though Sars yeah. doesn't have much more experience, but we're going to, I think we're talking a little bit more about young goaltenders in the Penguins Isle series, but it's interesting to note that uh, because with a young goaltender, you want to test them early, you want to test them off. And I think the predators are knowing like, if we can get pucks to the net, we force, uh, I think it's Alex Nadelkovich. I believe, yes. Yeah. I believe that's so, his name. I always struggle with his last yeah. name. Uh, he, if you test him, you can potentially uh, you can potentially win on him. I guess that kind of leads us into our next game, ironically, with the uh, 20-year-old Spencer Knight, I believe. Is he 20, yeah. 19 years old? He's uh, 20 years old. Spencer yeah, Knight. That was, me, that was a game. Feel old. <laughs> honestly he's not much older than i am and that feels weird having nhl players not older not much older than i am but i mean he's 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 old he's younger than me i'm just gonna say that uh but like aside from that like it's interesting because i think on the note of the hurricanes predator series i think that's what the lightning assuming Spencer Knight's going to stay in that, which I think is a safe assumption. Honestly, at this point, I don't see them having much other options. You know, they've, 
gone to their other goalies. Yeah. And it's like, and it's kind of like, well, I, struggled. Bobrovsky's been a mess in that this in yeah. the playoffs. So it's essentially been, well, we live and die by this right now, at least, yeah. at least till the end of the series, if they make it out of this series. They may reevaluate for the beginning of a next series, but right now it's kind of, you got to go with the hot hand. And he did, he played phenomenally against the light. Yeah, it was incredible. I think what's interesting is that, yeah. So with that in mind, I think the lightning are going to try to change their approach in game six or, and again, Spencer Knight in general, where they usually are very methodical and, and attacking in the offensive zone, great puck movement, finding open, open shots, which breaking down a defense. I think in this game, you're just going to see more straight shots towards Spencer Knight, daring him to save the, or more just crashing towards the net. Like Kucherov usually likes the kind, I guess the word quarterback gets used a lot in a lot of sports. And Victor Hedman kind of does that too, where he kind of like patrols the deep patrols, the defense from the point. I think you're going to see more of this approach of Stamkos, Kucherov crashing the net and forcing Spencer Knight to make uh, tighter saves uh, and more often just getting getting the puck to the net. Puck to so, the net. That's my take on this. Yeah, I don't know. so... Yeah, I, I agree, but I wanna I wanna go a little deeper in explaining why I think that's effective and you see it effective against young goaltenders in general. And a lot of people think it's oh, they don't have the experience, so they whatever. I think it's kind of and their techniques or technical aspects are not up to par. And I don't really think that's it. I've noticed this year with a bunch of young goaltenders playing, I think it's the opposite. I think it's they were young goaltenders because they're young, they don't a lot of them don't like to improv as much and with random wonky shots it's not as much about your technique it's more about your instincts and i think that's they the young goaltenders rely a lot on their instincts so you see even though the lightning got a bunch of shots they were usually nice crisp passing shots but they were you know they were shots they weren't they weren't you know bouncing and you know, yeah, kinds chaotic, of shots. Chaotic. Thank you. They aren't chaotic shots. And I think that's where young goaltenders tend to struggle the most until they get out of their head of, oh, I need to be as technically sound as possible and blend that. And I, all great goaltender, goaltenders eventually do. And some young goaltenders can't break out of that. And so they have a limit. And so I think that is how you have to try and attack a young goaltender in the playoffs throw shots on net hope they hit people get one if not two people especially on the power play get two people in front of the net make it like you know because then two defenders are going to be there four people standing in front of the net and make them make shots that just aren't you know the prettiest looking shots i think what's interesting is is the other thing that i think about with the with younger goaltenders and i don't really know much i mean there's this whole thing about like goalies are like a combination of quarterbacks, starting pitchers, kickers, if you were to combine other sports. But like basically the bottom line is with a younger with a young goaltender like this, uh like Spencer Knight, if you can get into his head, if you get or get a few goals early, whether if it's two in the first period, once once it bends, it breaks. And I think with the lightning in particular, I remember when they played the Islanders last year in the Eastern Conference final. It's a different team a bit, but basically same groups there. They scored a, a, a few early goals in the first period and then once that damn broke it was like oh they've got them and then they could run up the score and they did uh i guess i really the only question is is do you think the panthers can really pull off the comeback with with uh spencer knight in that like the 3-1 deficit overcome and 
uh, force a game seven and then win in seven? Or do you, would you say this is still the lightning series to win in advance? Probably. Um, I, I'm not going to say it's likely uh, when originally I thought they were going to win this series. I'm not going to say it's likely. I think it is very possible now with the series three, two uh, they do. The, the one big thing is they've got to win in Tampa's arena that in game six that's the thing because they have they they'll have the home ice in game seven so i think the big thing for them is and because it's this game if they can come out of this and force a game seven then what i think it does is it first of all gives the team the confidence to say we can do this um uh, because you know, going down three one, a lot of that is a mental thing. Because teams win, playoff yeah. teams win three plus games all the time in the regular season and playoffs. So I think it's a mental thing. And if you can get that game six in Tampa, in Tampa. you're not in Tampa. You're not staring down the barrel of a game seven in Tampa. And I think that helps. So I really think it comes down to game six. If they win game six by any margin of the word convincingly. Um, one or two goals, not forcing overtime kind of thing, um, then I would give them a good chance. But at this moment, I would say probably 35%. You know, I, yeah. I don't think they're going to win game six, but if they do, then I do believe they have the upper hand were they to go to I've, game seven. I've kind of shifted back and forth on like, I, I, I picked the Lightning since the beginning to win this series. And probably and like likely make it out of the uh, central division, but that's down the road, depending on matchups, of course, and so on. But basically, I think I don't think there's a sense of urgency in this game six up, upcoming for but the lightning. They, for the lightning, I don't think there's a ur- sense of urgency, but I think there's a sense of they wanna they wanna win this game and know that they can they've got things. They can close it out. Yeah, that they but can also close like, it out. You look at Andre Vasilevsky just hasn't been the same this series, which is so unusual considering that with when you look at Vasilevsky and Ned, it's like he allows one goal and it's like that's the goal he'll allow for the game. Or two goals, that's two goals and that's it. In this series, they've Florida's really gotten to him. They've really gotten yeah. some shots past him. And the, the deep defense also scrambled. I think this is a game, game six, they kind of not only want to win, but realize they've got things back in place where they're like, okay, this is really who we are. We're really uh, as good a team as we've proven in the past. I, yeah, I I think to win game six, Vasilevsky has have a great game. And I pointed this out when we first talked about the series prior to it beginning is Vasilevsky, while usually he's really good, he has shown at times, albeit the exception last year and even last year on in games, but his team was able to cover for him um, that in the playoffs, he's not as good overall. He's not as good in the playoffs outside of like last year. He has not saying he doesn't have the potential, but he has more off days when playing in the playoffs than he does normally. And I wouldn't even really call them off days. They're just not as superior as normal and in more evenly matched series that's that's an issue and so if he can have a great game and they win i think it'll give him a good mental you know kind of thing if he's the reason almost that they win game six uh, i think it would help them very much going forward just just every every part of that uh that's the thing I, i think if they lose game six it kind of will break them 
Um, that's the thing of the three, one series. If it go for three, one series ends up going to seven games. Oftentimes well, that's a mental blow pressure. the other way. Yeah. I think we'll put more pressure on them. That's where, that's where it is. Uh, and it will, I think, I think it'll be, int- I think you're, you're going to probably see the best performance from the lightning as a result in game six, knowing not the sense of urgency, but knowing that like, yeah, they want to get things right to know that like, there's not like underlying, not question marks on that roster. So, all right. So I guess let's, let's shift over to the East for a bit and let's start with the Capitals B series Bruin series. Uh, particularly let's start with the Capitals because this is a series that even surprised myself. And I haven't really, I don't really follow. I don't really watch the Capitals intensely, but I can understand a lot of frustrations for how the Capitals played in the series, uh, whether it's with Peter Leviolette, whether it's, it's with, Evgeny Kuznetsov it just you could see a lot of things unfolding as uh as as someone who just watched these games saying like oh there's like there's some question like there's a lot left unanswered and a lot of things that shouldn't have been issues that were in this series and I mean we'll get to the Bruins in a second because I think the Bruins are real we're a really good team entering this series and proved it but the Capitals it's just, it was just, it surprised even me because I thought they were going to at least push the series to seven. And once like, once like certain games felt, felt like started not going their way, they just fell apart. And I think that happened in games four and five. And I, so, I really, I really don't know how to approach this for the Caps because kind of, it's a, it's a stunning, like, it's a stunning loss. And I don't know where, I don't even know where you, where you go from here just because of like, uh because like this is a team that just really fell apart in this series. So, so I would like to point to one game, one moment, one thing first game three, the way they lost the way they lost game three in double overtime with that mistake, whether you put that on Samsonov or you put oh, that Craig, on Schultz. Craig Smith scoring. The, on yes. the, uh, okay. Whether you put it, whatever, every game up to that point had been really close. All three had been overtime games. They were all tight games. They were all competitive to the max and mm-hmm. uh, if the game stayed like that i would you would expect it to be a seven game series but the thing they like suck the air out of team I, I i do because you saw them and then and it wasn't mm-hmm. and i don't think it was only the second in the air that team was very injured coming in the playoffs and we talked about it and they got more injured during the playoffs and to illustrate that point um pretty much no one on the roster was given permission to uh to go and play in the world tournament uh or whatever it is um ovechkin's not because of an injury backstrom's not because of an injury samsonov is not because of an injury a whole slew of players the team denied them the ability to go because of the injuries i think that played a factor especially after three games of overtime with the last one it is being... interesting because the top line really struggled and you're like wondering if they're running on fumes at the end of the season and then running on fumes in the playoffs because that top line, I think aside from Ovechkin, did not find the back of the net. It's going to be Tom Wilson did once, but it was really... she did, but there's the point. You mm-hmm. can't really, except for Ovechkin, point out a player who you could say was on the top line, especially in the playoffs. They had like seven different rollouts of that in the five games. Usually and it's usually it's Kuznetsov, if I'm not 
mistaken, but no, in because that, in that series, long... you're wondering like if he really is going to stay on that top, like if he's going to even be on the team in next season because like long the goaltender sh- interference just kind of like for for someone who, who hasn't watched the island of, of the Capitals intensely, that like play, it's like oh, you talk about like a, a mis- like you that's something that I think someone who's watched this team all season has seen like throughout the year, like mistakes that have been made or just plays not being there. And you wonder like whether he's going to be on the team next year, but like, so w- just the overall Ross. Yeah. yeah. So um, no, he, that that's the thing for a second, but that's the thing, even throughout the season, that's not even really true. A lot of the season, it was Backstrom on the mm-hmm. top line. Parts of the season was Eller and that right wing shuffled. It was like a roulette board who was on that opposite side. Was it Oshi Wilson? Eventually they started playing Mantha there, which made no sense. Uh, at times it was strong and that seemed to work for a time, but yeah. it, it, it was very scrambled. And I think once they lost that game three, everyone having injuries and then losing that game three in double overtime, it made that effect of the exhaustion. I think way more. I, I think and the injuries way more because they're like, we played so hard in this game and we just couldn't do it, you know, kind of a mental thing. And in game four also trailing in the series two to one at that point, I think it's interesting. You mentioned the top line because it kind of, that's one of the lessons I took away from a lot of these series is, is, and this is why I think the capitals, when they enter the off season, one of the things they really have to prioritize is establishing a top line that they and don't have keeping to, it and keeping it. They don't have to waver. Cause when you look at the Bruins and this is why, and this kind of like, can shift a little bit into the Bruins is compared to the Capitals is the Bruins have had a top line all season in Pasternak, Marchand and Bergeron. And a lot of teams that have an established top line, the job becomes easier for a general manager and coach to basically shuffle around the rest of that lineup because you have an established top line and then everyone else you find like, Oh, can this skater match up with this one? Can this one work with this one as, but if you have that unit at top, at top, the rest of the roster becomes easier to manage and not worry about. And I think what's interesting is with the cat, with the Bruins from the Bruins standpoint at the trade deadline, we're wondering, Oh, the Bruins going to make the playoffs. At some points the Bruins look like borderline playoff team or not, but a lot of some people were like, don't worry because, they have the pieces there. They just need to figure it out. And it's easier to just shuffle around between lines two and three or three and four, really just two and three. Yeah. Uh, and that's emph- really. With, to emphasize to this, to emphasize this within the capitals, their fourth line did not play a game apart. Literally yeah, all fifth, all 56 games. That line was that line. And I get, shuffling lines two and three that happens with every team you gotta have a top line that you stick with and i think part of the issue is 2018 of getting kuznetsov was great years leading up he was good and getting better and he peaked at 2008 and then he got addicted to uh, cocaine and he got banned from hockey from the iihf and they were and it all went to his head and then he starts talking about "Eh, i just don't care enough to give it my all every day and then he's caused several COVID issues this year. Um, and the team, this last one was like rumor it's started team. coming out about them trading him off season. I do. I a hundred percent, but they do think they do that. And I think what that does is a couple things. It solidifies your top center because without Kuznetsov there, you don't have that in your head of, but we know what his potential is. We know what he can do in Kuznetsov and like- you just have Backstrom there. 
Okay. It's like you talk about like people teams like talking about culture, and then it's like Kuznetsov like uh. In in the last five minutes, when the Capitals need to get those goals in Game Five, Kuznetsov like is just like uh, in the center. It's like costs them a goal, and it's like it's like situationally like, dude, and like he, you gotta. And he be hasn't ready for been that. nearly as dynamic, and so that's what yeah. I think is gonna happen. I think they're gonna trade him, get rid of him somehow. You solidify who your top line center is, then you bring up one of your two really promising prospects in. Uh, uh, McMichael or Protoss both look very good. Who we, you choose is up to the team, but what you do there is you also make the team a little bit younger, and that is one of their issues. They're one of the older teams in the league, and so having this a little bit of infusion of youth, you do that. Um, I think well, you realize you thing, screwed up with Raffle. The age thing does get uh, a little skewed a bit when you consider like Zidane, Otaro, and Ovechkin are both in their late thirties, kind of bring the number up a bit whereas uh someone like nick dowd isn't really i don't think he's that no old. i they aren't but like so and then no but like i think what that's what they do they move up that center a bit and you kind of i think you obviously keep that bottom line if you can because i think yeah. you normally would think that bottom line is probably what's going to get plucked from um in the expansion draft but i actually think what they might do is something some teams did during the last one with with uh, Vegas with, with Vegas was Pittsburgh uh, did not protect either goaltender and they made a deal with Vegas to take Flurry, not Matt Murray, despite how bad that's turned out in the long run. It's it's funny. Someone actually tweeted. Remember when uh when the <laughs> when the Penguins chose Matt Murray over Mark Andre Fleury? He had we'll get, played great and he won them two Stanley Cups. We'll, but we'll, we'll get, get there the, in a we'll second. Get the, to the Penguins in a second. But basically, I guess really the last question I really have to ask about the Capitals. This well, is just something we should get out of the way quickly. Yeah, one Ovechkin's not leaving. We should like no. Uh, I'll, this kind of ties into that for a second. I think they allow. Vegas, uh, Seattle to take Kuznetsov in compensation for something. Don't know what it is, what it might be. I think that's probably what ends up happening. Mm -hmm. And so then you keep the rest. The other thing is Ovechkin does not need to be protected. And I think his press conference yesterday really emphasized that they have, and I said this a couple weeks ago, they have a deal in place. Yeah. They just, because until he, if he's not signed, he does not need to be protected, and he and he's a free agent and uh, unrestricted free agent. So uh, Seattle can't really draft him. They can sign him as a free agent, but he yeah. is not going to. And so that gives him an extra spot to protect. And I think they will save a bit of that bottom line with not having to say protect Kuznetsov or Ovechkin. Um, and so then I think literally. Maybe they wait a week after the expansion draft to look a it's, little it's less agreed, suspicious. It's, it's mutually an, agreed upon. It's it's yeah. happened before in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, and so just last thing, because throughout the season, they were kind of vague about it. But Ovechkin said, yeah, I'm staying here till the end of my career. He, he straight out said that. And to me, that confirmed that they yeah. have a deal on the table. It's just waiting for the day that we're going to sign that deal. Yeah. Um, and so I think getting rid of Kuznetsov contract will help them majorly bringing a little bit of youth in the center position will help um they have very good prospects uh they don't have prospects like the kings have prospects but they have yeah. good prospects 
And so I think there's part of that. And I think there's part of this was Laviolette's first season. You've seen this a lot of times. A lot of people talk about his early success. But when you actually look at it, it's often that second year. But this year was shortened. The amount of training they could do was shortened. And Laviolette is known for being a tinkerer. And so I think yeah. having a full off season will allow him to do that tinkering a little less on the fly. And I think without Kuznetsov there, they will come to a decision on a top line. Um, but it's up in the air. They have a lot I of, mean, there's a lot of question marks, I guess, to say the least. I mean, what yes. this team, I mean, there's, there's, there's some other teams that I think have more that we're kind of going to get into, but I think, I think really, on the like the last note, really, the Capitals and the Bruins is I I genuinely when I watch a series, there were two things. One, the Capitals perspective, which kind of like you want you start to see question marks as someone who's watching them more intensely. The other part is this Bruins team is really good, like Stanley Cup caliber good. And I think it's it's easy to like it was easy to dismiss it beginning of the season or in the middle of the season, even at the trade deadline. But some of the things you notice is when you have a top line, the rest of the job becomes easier. Taylor Hall has become a great asset on the second line, along with like Nick Ritchie, Charlie. Co- like they have all those pieces they they can move around. On Plus the added benefit of Marshan being allowed and, to do whatever he wants. <laughs> I mean, it's that, yeah, like Marshan's is is like is like lesser of few lesser of evils for a neutral fan, but like aside from that, like. You look at their, you look at their how their defense is shaped now. And they added uh, Mike Riley at the deadline, and you have, and Char- Charlie Coyle, Matt Grizzlick, Brandon Carlo. They're all healthy now, and I'm like, no, this team's actually. So honestly, actually- I don't think it was the defense that was the big issue for Washington, um, because the big the thing was, especially hard to talk about those last two games, games four and five, because. They Capitals just looked listless, even trying. They looked slow, tired, and whatever. But offensively, you, they looked hapless. It's yeah. interesting because I think like the that's what the Bruins. I mentioned before the series started, the Bruins' defense is not bigger, but it's fast and it has speed, and that speed can eliminate a lot of what teams like to do, especially in the new age of like a four of forwards basically being smaller and faster. Like you have, oh. you have players like Brandon Carlo, Charlie McAvoy basically could turn over instead of like taking to, instead of hitting you at the blue line, they'll just kind of turn it over and send the puck the other way. So and that's I part actually of the think, part. I think the blue line was a big thing and I don't think it was because of the defense um, all series, but especially the last couple of games, they could not enter the zone and set up. That was the big thing. They were playing like in the first three games when they were able to get into the zone and have any amount of sustained uh, zone. Yes. Any, yeah. Any type of sustained zone time, they often ended up in goals in those first three games, but they were, very it was very hard for them to get into the zone because those forwards with the help of the defensemen but those forwards at the lines were they were being very aggressive at that blue line of making sure they hit them every time they stepped up to that blue line and it made it very hard for the capitals to make it into the zone even especially even on their power play but yeah i think that i think the defensive I wouldn't say overall defensive ability, but that ability of the forwards for the Bruins was something 
I didn't expect something that um, well, I think is very underrated and it's interesting you see the a lot of times. The Bruins have a mix of some speed forwards, where, uh, but they also have some of those power forwards you very, very rarely see that kind of can they can kind of have that be very good on very well and play very well on the forecheck. I think you Craig Smith's an example of one. He he kind of scored on an error goal, but Craig Smith's an example of, of a forward who kind of gets on the forecheck, gets uh into the offensive zone, tries to create turnovers. And I think we see a few of those turnovers where yeah, it's but- like they have those they have those big bigger forwards as well. Yeah. I, I was more talking about actually on the back check. Uh, the yeah. Bruins back check, I thought, was from their forwards, was very, very underrated in that series. And I mean, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really intrigued because I think the Bruins, the Bruins, is, I, I'm not going to make an early prediction, but I think the Bruins match up very well, regardless of whether the Penguins or the Islanders make it make it out of the, I think the Isle, the Islanders are going to, of course, give them a bigger problem in terms of scoring, but the Penguins, I mean, the, the Bruins match up very well. We talk about speed on the on the on the defensive on the defensive side of the ice. Uh, it's not going to match up well. I just it's going to be interesting to see how they match up because I think the, I I think right now they are the team to beat in the East, and it's like they were. It was very. They look really good right now, and it's really it's really interesting. It's just like interesting to see how everything's clicking at the right time for them. Yeah. Uh, so. I guess that that leads us into our next yeah. series, the Penguins and the Islanders. And so I did say, I thought if any one verse four seed was going to turn, was going to be won by the fourth seed, I predicted that would be the Islanders, um, especially after seeing game one, but that's um, even more understated. They have been able to defense. We knew going in, they are ast- astoundingly good defensive team. There was no question in that going in. It was their offense and their offense has been getting the points when they needed them um, in the overtime, in the two overtime games they played, they won. Um, yeah. That is, game uh, one, game one and game five, they yeah. won in overtime. Um, and I, oddly enough, they're three and zero when Sorokin's in net, zero and two when Varlamov's in net. You don't really, I, I personally don't think it wins are a goaltender stat; it's a team stat. But Soro, it's it's really interesting to watch how Sorokin's looked on. Talk about young goaltenders; he's looked really unfazed uh, in the net. Whereas Tristan Jari, uh, game one kind of game one, everything uh, went wrong. Where it was just a few shots to the glove side that he fanned on. But man, this mistake in game five that, that yeah, was... that, that's also where it's like he tried to clear it. Josh Bailey uh intercepted it, it was an easy turnover because he cleared it right to jo- yeah, to he didn't Bailey. he didn't clear it to the boards, yeah, he cleared it. It was almost as if he was aiming for the board right by the blue line, and so that left yeah. it in the middle of the ice for quite a long time. And that was bad. It would have been better, even though there were just players around the net. I think e- even though there were players all around the wall that yeah. he was going to, it's better to do it there because half those players were your players. It probably would not have gotten straight away out, but it would have not been an instant Islander with the puck. And so I think that was a huge and, mistake. And then to ta- top it off on that goal, like Josh Bieliska hesitates and Tristan Jari like falls down and then uh, gives him the entire top shelf to just poke it poke it over Jari and i mean overall in this series it's i didn't yeah i 
I didn't predict the. I thought the Penguins are going to ultimately control the series and win it in six. Uh, the surprise isn't that the Islanders are, win, are controlling this, are ahead in the series. I think we all said we wouldn't be shocked about that. We wouldn't be shocked the Islanders controlled the series. I think we're shocked about how much of how much they've controlled both the offensive and defensive end of the ice. How well they've like li- not only just limited the top line. I believe only uh, Crosby scored once and Brian Rust has scored twice. I think in this series. Thus far, which is their top line, did, Brian Rush, Jake Gensel. Didn't Brian Rush score twice? Yes, in the in game five was that. Were no, those his only uh, goals. He he scored he scored once. He scored the second goal. The first goal, I believe. Uh, who was the first goal? Uh, Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, Malkin on a power had play. the first one. Yeah. So. I mean, it's interesting because with the Penguins, Penguins and Islanders have both found scoring on the back ends, which I think is something we expected from Pittsburgh. It wasn't something we expected from the Islanders. I think that's what's really helping the Islanders over the top, put them over the top. But particularly their de- yeah, their defense has taken away that top line. They've utilized them from the majority of the uh, series uh, in this in the on the on man rush, to carrying the puck through the neutral zone. I think those those are some of the surprising elements of this series is how well the Islanders have basically controlled the pace of the game, controlled both ends of the ice uh, to give them this three two lead. Uh, what, what I guess really what I'm wondering is what are your what, what first what are your surprises of this series? Because that my surprise is just how well the Islanders just controlled this game, controlled this series. Uh, but like, it, what what are some of the surprising parts about for you? Because I don't think you had you had you didn't have the Islanders controlling the series three to two either. At um, point. I don't think so. I did. I think I predicted it being, I predicted it being a closer series um, yeah. because, but I did have them controlling the games. As you say, I thought the way this series would play out would be the Islanders have the control of the game for 50 minutes out of the game, but the, there's a 10 minutes spread across the 60 minutes where the Penguins could capitalize given their speed and their breakout ability. And they have been able, the, that's where my surprise comes in is they've limited that too. And Sorokin has played well against the, those yeah. as well. And so I think that's my biggest surprise. Not, ne- not that the Islanders have controlled the games because I saw that because that's their team. Their team is a control team. Um and so I think that their ability to almost limit all facets when I thought that the breakouts was going to be a facet that just is a part of the game that happens. And they've been very good about um, in the offensive zone, protecting the puck in a way that leads to significantly fewer breakouts and steals. It's more, they don't turn over the puck as much, and when they when they do, they're able to cut off angles on those odd man rushes, which I th- I think I mean that really is credit to the defensive pairings one through one through three the defensive pairings that have been good all year. But like, yeah, it, the the part that the part that I think is really interesting is how they don't really turn over the puck in the offensive zone with careless turnovers, yes. and particularly when they turn over the puck, they are able to do it. They're able to do it based whether it's off a shot or whether it's uh, in the uh, past. It's a the uh, turnover, level. but it's not yeah. a, it's a turnover, but not one that leaves a guy open. 
Not like, like three on twos or three on yeah. two odd man rush or two on one odd man rush. They're very they're very cautious about allowing odd man rushes when they're in yeah. the offensive zone, and the amount that they've been able to do that has has surprised me. Yeah. Um. I, I guess like well yeah the, the last thing is do you see the penguins make uh what do you what's what do you see as more likely scenario the penguins coming back in the series and taking the series back and winning in seven or the Islanders winning either game six or game seven, assuming Sorokin's going to be the starting goaltender. Uh, he's coming off the 48 saves on 50 shots uh, so game, which I, uh, what do you, what do you say there? I always say it's more likely for a team to get one win than two in yeah. the playoffs. I, I, I just think mathematically in the playoffs, teams are generally so close that it's much more likely a team gets one win than a team gets two wins. Um, now, do I see Pittsburgh winning? Um, game six and forcing a game seven which at that point the variables change entirely um so that's my thing is i think that the islanders do win game six um, it's interesting because th- there are th- th- there are three game sixes uh we're t- tomorrow well, wednesday night uh there are three of them and all three of them the home team has the chance to well not not all three all three uh so the islanders have the chance to advance the lightning have a chance to advance at home both teams and if they lose then they have to go on the road with much more pressure the wild who are the team we're about to i guess discuss have the chance to eat to tie the series and then send it to uh vegas for game seven but yeah i i i honestly i still think the penguins are going to win this series as as much as i like to think yeah it's easier to win one game than to win two i think the um the penguins it's almost uh there's a few things that i think you see it's like that haven't gone their way but like i think i could i just i see them pulling out this series i think we're gonna see a more aggressive play from the point which is a high risk high reward but they're gonna try to they're gonna try to get to speed up the game and particularly they're gonna try to get chris Latang, cody cc uh, more shots on that and more plays in the offensive zone just because they need they want to they want to they want to make the game a high scoring game knowing like game three was the high scoring game that I think went back and forth the goal scoring and they're going to want to force that type of game and I think that's what they're going to do and then game seven whatever's on the table is, is so, on the table. so I I didn't really finish I don't see necessarily no it's fine I don't actually so I think as I mentioned, it's easier to win one than two, but yeah. there are exceptions. And as I mentioned, once you win one, things change. And I do think you're going to see a more aggressive Pittsburgh um, today. Uh, not today, tomorrow. I think you're going to see a more aggressive Pittsburgh. And yeah. so I believe that's going to play a role, but it can hurt them. And as you saw, I believe it was game three, uh, Maybe not game three. Which game was it where the Islanders won, but it was high scoring? There was one of them. Well, um, game one, they won four to three in overtime, but it wasn't really it wasn't really a fast paced game. It had waves where it was like very fast paced at some points, and then it was slow paced at other times. The Islanders, I think, won game uh, four, like four to one or five to one or something it was like that. Four to one. It, it, I think it might have been game one. Um, honestly, I think it might have been game one. I that, think yeah, that, that was in, that was a game that had uh, sprints. It had points where it was very fast paced, 
But overall, I think the Islanders took control of that game when they slowed it down, when they were able to establish uh, uh, an offensive presence and uh, utilize that odd man rush. Yes. Yeah, so uh, that was that was the four three overtime win yeah. that the Islanders got, and I, the risk Pittsburgh runs is getting sloppy while the Islanders, we don't have the utmost faith in their scoring. The players they acquired at the deadline have been good in the playoffs, not till the end of the season, but they've been good in the playoffs. Their team Kyle Palmieri is the biggest factor. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's, I think that's, they can be taken advantage of if they become it's as you said, it's a very double-edged sword to yeah. win. They have to risk, but with risk comes yeah, the risk part of it. I think they can, I could see this game turning ugly really fast one way or the other. Well, yeah, I, I, mean, I could see one team scoring two or three goals early. If um, you're Pittsburgh, you want to do that, especially I mean, you want to you want to take that risk because, especially if it pays off, you're going to silence the uh, home crowd. You talk about home home field, home ice. That everyone everyone's who's so excited to see the Islanders advance, they want to silence that crowd. And I think they're willing to take that high risk, especially since that's their style of play that they'd rather play into. I think. And no, that's, that's I really I agree. But my thing is, if it is the Islanders who gets out to an early enough, let's say for if the first period ends and the islanders are up by two goals whether it be three one two nothing whatever it be if it becomes a high scoring affair but the islanders come out of the first up by two goals that then becomes a very difficult game for pittsburgh to win no matter what because of the islanders defense if they get up two, it would be very very hard that's why I'm saying it could turn bad for Pittsburgh real quick. Even if it doesn't look that bad, two goals. We've seen plenty of blown lead, blown leads this this playoffs. Yeah. But, but against the Islanders, it's not a team you want to rely on being able to come back. Um, it's a team. So, but if Pittsburgh gets the upper hand going into the second period, it can they can continue to play like that, and the Islanders will have to continue to be a little more play into the hand of that risk but if they come out quick and get goals they don't need to play into pittsburgh's risk there i mean that's where i yeah i think i think the you take it one game at a time and i think that's where the i think pittsburgh's gonna play this game a little more aggressively i guess uh so i guess yeah then let's i guess that leaves the last game six for tomorrow the uh the wild and vegas and this is the one i think i actually i picked vegas to win this series uh, not easily. I picked them in seven, but I think this game, game six, I think this is the Wilds game to lose. I don't know if you would agree or not, but like I disagree. They, <laughs> I, I disagree. Like team. Uh, so recently, also, and at home. I don't know. First of all, astonished can only start to explain how I think uh, I felt about game five. I thought there was no way they were coming out of game five having gone into Vegas with 20,000 fans and whatever. But like I said, in the, uh, with the Pittsburgh game, they got out to a fast lead. Like they got, it was three, one at the end of the first period. And that crowd was silent. Um, And it took half the game for them to even get back into it. 
And so, because fans also are less likely to be silenced in a game that's an elimination game until the very end. Yeah. They didn't have that worry, so the crowd got silent when they started to lose. And now you're going back to Minnesota. I, I kind of agree, but the one thing that makes me think not is despite that game, Flurry throughout the series before last game had a below one goals against and like a 940 save percentage. Um, he had a bad game. They, some of them were bounces, but he had a bad game. They got 14 shots total and one or two of them came in the last two minutes after the empty net goal. So I don't see flurry playing that poorly again. I think also similarly Vegas's defense has been like really good this entire. Uh, this and they entire were series. good. That was yeah. the thing. They played well. Um, the whole team played well, except for flurry flurry had a bad game. Like that second period Vegas it was like it was 22 shots to one in that second period. They only got one goal out of it is the thing. And so they got they unlucky too. They made it a very winnable game. That's yeah. The but part. the, the Minnesota's defense did not break. And I think that's the, and Cam Talbot has played really well throughout this series overall. I, but I can't, Given that it wasn't the rest of the team that played bad, I just don't see Flurry having a terrible game again. And if you can limit Minnesota to another sub 20 shot game, I think it's Vegas's game to lose. Not saying I don't think it's possible for I Minnesota think, to win, I just think it's Vegas's game to lose because I, think very I don't see Flurry. I think very another game like that. I, I kind of I kind of agree in that sense because I think in, on 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 the ice. Vegas out outmatches uh, the Wild in terms of their entire roster, in terms of their their scoring depth, their defensive depth, even goaltending. You ra- you'd rather have Fleur over Talbot. The interesting part is how how this series has not played into into that into that like script where the Wild where Cam Talbot has stepped up and has played exceeded all of our expectations. How I think really also. How the Wild have been able to utilize uh, Vegas's offense. I think. I think one of the questions is is um, Ve- Vegas's overall um, scoring. I think uh, the top line has been inconsistent. I guess when the top line succeeds, the entire team does. Uh, whether the defense wants to, whether the defense wants to play overly aggressive, overly aggressive, at, and potentially surrender. Uh, surrender I mean, some odd man rushes because outside of game one their offense has been fine you know game game two was three one game three was five two and game four was four nothing so outside of well, game that five first, they only allowed they they what they only scored twice i believe right yes so game five they scored twice but overall their offense hasn't been necessarily an issue and honestly i don't think it was an issue in game five um it just they Minnesota's defense helped out a lot because their offense was very, very limited. They just took the opportunities and, and made the absolute best of them. Um, But you know, that offense was not good and that defense saved them. I think Minnesota is going to get like one or two chances on odd man rushes and have to take advantage 
like because that's the few chances they're gonna get where it's like if Kirill Kaprizov can like basically find open ice which he won't really find that much of it in these games but when he does he has to take advantage of it because you're not gonna find that many uh chances uh in this series I but I mean it really it's interesting also because I think with the wild uh I think Matt Dumba scored twice or in the series uh and like at least he scored in game three I think and like yeah they have to find goals where they don't where they don't think they can get them just because of how well Vegas's defense has played and how well Flurry has played I mean, I think the series is Vegas is to lose still. I mean, I think we... Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think Vegas wins this game six. Um, I don't I, see Flurry having back-to-back terrible games. And that's what they needed to win. They needed yeah. an absolute terrible performance out of Flurry to win that game. I mean, but like, I, 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 think, I think the Wild can still steal... Uh, this, this up. I mean, they did steal game five, so you could say that that was their steal for the... Uh, for the series, but like it is interesting to see how their defense, how not really their defense, but really how Cam Talbot is, has been exceeding our expectations, and that's yes. really something to keep in mind. So keep in mind. I I think the way they would have to win this is Cam is a similar aspect to Game One. I don't see Flurry giving up three goals in the first period. So I think the way they would have to win this is Cam Talbot shutting out or close to shutting out. Mm-hmm. Um. Vegas again um I it honestly I see I see it being like a 3-2 game Vegas I don't see I don't see the wild scoring more than two goals so I think it comes down to can Talbot limit them to one goal or fewer is where I I see it come down to or two goals and force an overtime, but I don't see the wild getting more than two goals, honestly, against flurry after um, flurry had a bad performance. I'm leaning like two, one with that in mind, almost, or really uh two nothing where it's, it's the wild get one goal early and then like really play defensively. Uh, and then, and then really, really for them, it's going to be finding goals where you don't expect them to be or where you don't where you don't traditionally get them from. Uh, if they can get a power play, they haven't been great on the power play this year. It's been an odd struggle with them for theirs. But if they get a power play, they have to take they advantage have a, of those. Because they have a couple players. I don't think they have a solid power play unit, though. Yeah. Um, that's something they can work on, obviously. That's That's honestly the biggest takeaway I see here. Even though they've lost, and some of the games have been bad, but they have shown the ability to put up a put up a fight against the team that I per- personally think is the fa- I'm taking as the favorite to win the cup. Um, if they can make it past Colorado, which I think will be their toughest challenge, yeah, uh, unless they face the Canes in the in the cup. But it's funny because I yeah I think Colorado is I like. The, the team to be i mean we're gonna get to them in a second but uh yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. i think this is great no one expected this going into the season did anyone predict minnesota being a playoff team like well, anyone I mean, not only that they they're really they're proving how close they are that's tending for a cup that's I, what i'm saying they they've put up a big enough fight where it's like they're not that far away 
you expect a team, even a team like this that makes it to the playoffs when you don't expect it, you expect them to be a couple years away. Next year, if they make the right off-season moves and they can play well, uh, and, and if they can handle the expansion draft well, then I think they have a chance in the next couple of years to start being real contenders for the cup. I think the big optimism is they have a young core where they have their three scores, 24 years older, younger that they can build around. And that's really an exciting thing that you, as a general manager, you, you that's exciting to know that you could build around that young core that's already in place. And then you include Capo Kakinen, who's not really starting in the playoffs, but could be a starting goaltender in the future. I, and I think it, as much as like, as for as good as a team that Vegas is, the wilds are a tough out and they, they continue to be. Yeah. And they got, you know, that's, that's why at the end of the season, the fight was for who played the blues, who would play the blues, honestly. And I mean that, and that's case in point, the avalanche uh, swept the blues. I think it's interesting because like as much as a takeaway I have is with the Stanley cup playoff so far is that teams is to never just disregard a team, say like, it's going to be an easy sweep. Uh, or a team can match up very well with a, with another team with what they do, even if they're not necessarily better than them. The Blues, the Blues got like they man-handled. they got outmatched. They, they they got manhandled. Yeah, and it was, and it was, yeah. It's my. It's not just like I like to. Uh, yeah, the the Blues. It's been like inconsistent the, the the model of inconsistency you'd say yeah where it's like they would win seven they'd lose seven and then it's like and we literally we were discussing it week by week it's like what kind of team what kind of team are they who are we gonna see this week this and yeah and this series was kind of yeah they got the short they got unlucky where it was like yeah they they played when they were uh on their four game losing streak so it was like they ended the season cold again but in the in the in the series against the Avalanche, you just saw not only was the Avalanche top line able to constantly get through the Blues, it was just depth overwhelming depth. It was uh, it was the late defensive pairings uh, that the Avalanche had, which the Blues don't, and just constant, just constantly, uh, and it just every game became uh, lopsided. Just by but the Blues just oh. I mean, getting, uh, getting like overmat, overwhelmed by the Avalanche just every game yeah, that we would say. I, I do. I think so. I think the Blues need to seriously uh, think about their situation. Um, I think they need to not hold on to their cup. I think I get it. It's their it was their first cup in who knows how long, but I think they need to be like, okay, some players left. We're missing something. We caught lightning in a bottle. We've got to make the team better. And I think they're a little bit in their heads of, no, we got the pieces. And I don't think they do. Um, I think when you talk about them being competitive, at, I mean, they were competitive at the trade deadline. They seriously believe they're one or two pieces away, which isn't wrong if you can get that one piece that is a David Posternock or a Jake Gensel. That's very hard to find, and that's rare that you will. Well, I, I don't even have to say Posternock or Gensel. I think it's more finding their Taylor Hall, you know, find when in when we're talking about in terms of like uh trying to find a one piece through a trade or something. I don't see them finding a top line guy necessarily, but so that's that's the thing. I think they're more than a 
they think they're a piece or two away. And I believe they're further than that because the year they won the cup, they were horrible up until January. And so I think them winning that they were last place up until January. And so I think they really need to realize and be like, we're not, we're further away than we think. I mean, ironically, what led them that year was their defense was much deeper than it is now. And Jordan Bennington was hot at the right time, which, and he also was able to get spot starts from Jake Allen in the regular season, which allowed him to be, to not get overworked, which I think is not as easy to have now. So the Blues can try to remain competitive, but it's going to be, it's going to be much harder. They're going to have to pull a lot more strings compared to uh, saying like, we could try to move some pieces around and like almost not rebuild, but reboot in a sense. Yeah. I I think, I think they're going to be a four seed, you know, but like a, a not as competitive four seed necessary. Like the, the biggest thing there is the difference between the three and four seed in that division was massive. Uh, the difference between yeah. the wild and the blues was a huge difference this year. And I think until they figure out some issues, they're going to be that. I think with a piece or two, they can creep closer, but to actually really be back in contention, which is where they want to be every team wants to be where they think they can be. They need a little bit more significant change. Yeah. And there's just a lot of roster questions, which we saw in the avalanches, I guess really, really, I guess a few things on the, um, on the avalanche, because it's interesting because I, I picked them. I picked them as one of my, as my cup team. I think I picked them to win, to win the cup. And I'm, this series doesn't really prove it doesn't really prove doesn't show that. much. It doesn't really prove that like, okay, that this is a team that really should win the cup as much as I think this really, this series just didn't disprove that. I think. Yeah. I think what this series did is give them an upper hand in the next series. Um, I mean, hundred percent, the rest is going to, well, not just the in. rest the ease of it, you know, yeah. while Vegas, even though they won three games really well, they still have been gritty. It's been a lot harder for Vegas to win them because they're playing a so much more significantly better team than the blues that Vegas every game is a close game I think or like most games are closer and more competitive games and they feel closer is the thing yeah. even if the score doesn't much say it they feel like close games they feel like yeah this could be anyone's game kind of while the blues it was you were watching and you're like yeah the blues suck in comparison to the avalanche I mean, and yeah. so I think- I think it's interesting because another note when I think about the Amalich is similar when we talked about the Bruins is they're a team that has a top line and they know they have a top line. They don't need to worry about adjusting it. And I think with that, and again, this is one of the things that I've been watching all these series. One of the big takeaways is that once you have that top line, the rest of your roster becomes easier to shuffle around. I think we saw, we see that now ever since the avalanche kind of upset the flames a few years ago and almost upset the sharks where it's like, yeah, they have that line in place and it makes the job easier. I think it's similar. Like when you talk about maybe what the blues want to do, or maybe what uh, the wild want to do is establish that top line because like the avalanche now when you look at how nathan mckinnon plays along with miko ranson and gabriel lancicog it's just like it's such a hard line to stop and they already they've already know they don't have to worry about it whether it's your head with head coach or general manager just 
and that and that just put them out there on the ice you're not worrying about it so i've got i've got one question sorry who centers kaprizov's line centers kaprizov's line is it kevin fiala i don't know because zuccarello's on the other side but he's not a center i mean i could i could try to look this up we've i've never done this uh live this is terrible uh sorry it's just as you mentioned them looking for that top line i don't even know if they were the top line but like zuccarello and and kaprizov were essentially playing right and left i have no clue who the center was and given is how well erickson is he a center? maybe maybe he is the center it might be joel erickson but i i sorry to go back to the wild for a second but that's a huge thing given how well he performed and not having a center that is of terrible note, you know, that I think is a huge thing. If they can find a better, you know, I'm not to diss on Erickson Eck if that is who the center is, but he's, you know, if they can find a very good solid center, that line can be great because Zuccarello and Kaprizov it's not just Kaprizov's greatness and Zuccarello being a veteran. It's they play really well together. That first goal they got, it, it was the two of them. It, it was Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Zuccarello making a great pass, Kaprizov being in the right place and taking advantage of that shot for Kaprizov's first playoff goal. Um, and so I think that is a... Okay, so it's Victor Rask. Basically with the wild do um this is interesting so the wild basically they split up they basically they do the uh the uh opposite a lot of teams like to stack a top line and then like uh figure it out after that um they split up kaprizov erickson and kevin fiala on three separate lines and then matt zuccarello and kirill kaprizov at least from game five were on the same line with uh with victor Rask. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting strategy. Uh, <clears throat> when you take your top three, when you top three players, top two players, and you split them up, I think you and whether or you you stack them on the same line. I guess we're gonna get. I mean, that's kind of like one of the questions with the Oilers, which we'll get to in a second. Whether how do you build your roster or with that in mind? But uh, yeah, the Wild basically do that. I wonder if that's the best strategy moving forward for them or not. We'll, well figure I don't that know. out. I, I do think from the games I've seen of them, I do believe um, Zuccarello opposite um, opposite Kaprizov. Granted, I don't know if Zuccarello is under contract or not next year. Um, if they're if he's not, they should fix that situation. But um, Zuccarello opposite Kaprizov has been great all year. You saw it. And if you can just add in a center consistently that sticks with them and plays well with them, I think you have a very good line. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I, I guess that kind of leads us into the, into the Oilers because that's another team, I guess this is a team that really has a lot of question marks uh, to deal with. I kind and of disagree. I saw one, I think I saw one thing. It's a huge thing. Mind you in the NHL goalie um, i mean i i think if mike smith's mike smith's like one of the first ones because my i i kind of said almost jokingly but it's kind of true mike smith's the best worst goalie of all time like if they had like, a if they had a good goaltender they're not losing that series especially not for I nothing think, and i don't yeah. think they lose that series if they have a go- better goaltender 
I mean, there's a few things that stood out in this series. It's kind of like this series exposed a lot of things. I mean, for one, the wild played very well. I think that's, and that's Jets. fun. And I meant, uh, yeah, the Jets, we're just talking about the wild. Um, the Jets played very well in this series. I think we can't discredit them. They also two matched up very well with what the Oilers like to do. But three, then three is on the Oilers where, yeah, Mike Smith. is. They gave up leads. I think in three out of the four games, they gave up leads. Well, well also, so yeah, Mike Smith's the first thing where it's like um, the first question mark where I don't think he's the goaltender moving forward. I mean, there was a lot of, there was some easy shots that he, there were some hard shots that, <clears throat> the Jets got on that, but he couldn't save. But there were some easy shots that were very much um, should be saved for, as a playoff goaltender that he could it's, that he could that he let by. It was especially games three and four. Game one they lost badly, and game two was a one nothing overtime. Yeah, but those last two games they gave up two plus goal leads in each yeah. of them, and that is a huge thing. Like. It, it, Maybe you can put it on the defense a little bit, but watching those games, it seemed more on the goalie almost to me, I mean, at least. There is some stuff I could credit the Jets offense for. I guess we could talk about the Jets. And, um, oh, I, I'm like, not discrediting but, the Jets. I'm I mean, just yeah, saying as it's not, it is Oilers it's very much issue. That's very much Mike Smith, but I think also there's, so yeah, the one's Mike Smith two is uh, whether, I mean, the issue is, defense, can they get a goalie? Where are they going to find one? You're not going to draft. They're a team that could be in the market for a trade for a goalie. Because the, the problem is they, they're in a cap situation that doesn't allow them to move around. That's why a lot of people are wondering whether they're going to trade one of their, whether tr- make a big trade because their cap situation doesn't allow them to make a lot of moves. When Darnell Nurse, Tyson, um, Darnell Nurse, Leon Dreisaitl, and Connor McDavid, three players are taking up close to like what one fifth of your cat. I don't know the full numbers, but they're taking up $20 million, maybe even more 20, 22 million, 23, just those three. So you can say maybe they make a big move in a trade, but you don't usually see that. You don't usually see big trades for goaltenders, especially good goaltenders. You either got to find them in and for agency. And I don't think there are really any much better options that are going to be in free agency goaltending wise this year. I don't know what their farm system is like. So I don't know if they have a young goaltender who could, who could start next year, a chunk of the game, but he's, but they don't, they don't have as much confidence in Miko Koskinen. I think, I mean, it's, they're, they're going to keep, I don't think they're going to make a big block blockbuster deal necessarily, but I think they're going to be a team that, um, might want to add a goalie on the um, a cheaper goal, a cheaper option, a cheaper option, but like just basically someone who they have confidence in. But also, they're the team that uh, they're a team that like they're gonna try to add some score. I think they need to find a way to add scoring depth. I think, and that's like really something that is. There were games that they kind of ran up the score in, and they uh, were, they could have won that game with without their defense are goaltending blowing it but outside of the dry side of line and the mcdavid line you really kind of you you see an intense drop off and you see and that's one of the things that i wonder what they should do moving forward with that so so i get it um usually those depths that can be smaller movement free agency type movement um 
But one thing I actually just thought of what they might be able to do with goalie is um, the Islanders. If the Islanders decide to stick with Sorokin, it is, I believe. Yeah. And stick with him moving forward. I was actually thinking the same thing before we started recording, because if Sorokin does lead a deep playoff run, not even the cup, but say they make it out of the East and make it to the final four, they like they beat the Penguins. I mean, that if they beat the Penguins, almost, I feel like they look at it and they say, and they say Sorokin's young and we can do, and we can move forward with him. Yeah. And we don't need Varlamov. I believe Varlamov is their other goalie, well, right? Semyon's the, Semyon Varlamov's the starter, yeah. but he's also 33. So, I mean, it's like, I, I think yes, he's, he's but got he a lot played, of trade value. Yes, but he yeah. played very well. I don't know his contract situation, um, but I also know that if they really think they can go with Sorokin and if Varlamov has a bigger contract, they'd be more willing to let it go paying a guy first goaltender money. If you're not expecting the first goaltender for less um, if he is under contract. And so I think that, cause he played well, most of this year, he has struggled this playoffs, but he did you're play well. Varlamov, right? Yeah. He did play well this year. Yeah, He played an incredible season actually. Yeah. And I mean, on that note, you could actually list a ton of goaltenders who are on good teams right now that you could say, the teams have the depth at the position that they can move, whether like Vegas has Robin Leonard and Mark Andre Fleury on their roster, which is so Leonard's younger is why I think they keep they're keeping them both because despite Mark Andre Fleury's Vesna year, um there will be a time when it comes he's too old. He's what 36 now? He's he's I mean, old. Yeah, I think Vegas could that that could be a real i'm saying that could be a realistic trade vegas trading flurry oh trading flurry maybe i think it's more they're gonna stick with the both of them until flurry retires and then just use leonard it's possible i just don't see vegas vegas fearing the thing that made them successful one of the things that made them successful was getting flurry from pittsburgh and you see the difference in the two teams since that since that move and they don't want to probably, they probably would fear trading Flurry to a that's, team. That's why I said I don't see them trading him. I yeah. think they stick with both of them until Flurry retires. <laughs> and then I mean, you give Leonard the job because yeah. they're both under contract for multiple years right now. I mean, there's just now a ton of teams. When you talk about like the, the Oilers can make a move for, there's the Carolina Hurricanes with their three goaltender situation. You have the Dallas Stars who have Anton Kudobin, Jake Oninger, and Ben Bishop. And maybe they want to move one of those. Uh, there's just a ton of speculation about what they could do. But also, also with the the Oilers, I think it it, it is gonna have they're gonna have to move around some cap because they they do their their off their team is built on the backs of three players, which I think as much as I, I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm just saying I would just say you have to build depth to fuel that to fuel those three or four players that lead your team. And you right now know, they don't have that. You want to know something I could see happening? And this is a less likely occurrence. It's not a huge likelihood, but I could almost see McDavid pulling a Brady and restructuring his contract to give the team more room to operate. Cause I think he is getting sick and tired of these early playoff exits. I think he sees a problem and I think he, it, it depends. Is he going to be a big enough man to do that? Um, I personally, well, I mean, does think he want he to restructure will. his contract? Uh, 
and I mean, it's not just him, Darnell Nurse and Leon Tricet. Yeah, also. but it, it, they're not in such terrible trouble that if he restructured his contract, maybe even possibly not take less money and just stretch it out um, uh, almost because especially with the current financial or, or shift it to back end um, money where because of the fact that it's a flat cap and next yeah. year it's expected to increase, but not increase as much, almost shift chunks of that to later years, maybe add a year onto the contract to give the room more op- the team more operating room. I could see it being done given how frustrated I personally believe he is with the way this has gone. And usually, and the question is, do you think he's okay with that? Do you think he's okay with the, I get a lot of money? No, I was going to say, do you think he's okay with living with, with, I'm a great player. Everyone realizes I'm probably the best player in the league, but, and I get a lot of money, but we don't do anything in the playoffs. I personally don't think he's the kind of person and there are those, but I don't think he's the kind of player who's okay with that. I think he's like, I can make all these numbers. Yeah. I can make all these numbers. And at the end of the day, it'll mean nothing. It will mean absolutely nothing if I can't win. And I think eventually there's going to come a point where he's like, okay, I got to take a little less money kind of, kind of deal. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, I think it's or interesting shift around think, the money. I think he kind of, with the long-term deal allows the team to basically have what 10 years or nine years to figure out how to build a team around him. I think yeah. that's what it was. That's part of the, that I don't know. Well, that's maybe, why I didn't necessarily say pay cut, but like shift when, it. yeah. Shift when the money comes in and in what form, because there are ways yeah. to, get around the cap with getting the money it's you know you could bet you could yeah you could back in the deal i mean there's a ton that you of ways to to get around i mean because there's the average annual value and then there's the cap hit per season which of course allows it i think i mean yeah the, the oilers they i mean the bottom line the oilers and they just have to figure they have they they need to enter next season with a different formula because what they have right now I'm not saying disband the core. I'm not saying trade Drysidle. I'm not saying trade Darnell Nurse, or um, or anyone, any of those key players. I'm saying they need to build. They need to build around them, and they currently don't have the pieces in place to do that, and that's the problem. I I think goalie will be a huge thing. Um, I think it will be a huge thing how much that would impact, um, them. But I do agree with you. They need a scorer or someone who are on and I don't even necessarily think it needs to be a third or fourth line guy. Um, And I don't, it might not even need to be a scorer, but if you could get another guy for that second line or get, try to get a little more defensive focused, uh, which would be an easier thing to do because people who score just get paid more money. It's just, the fact of the matter, but if you can be, build a more defensive focused third or fourth line, um, that could be a huge help where they don't need to be blowing out people necessarily. Um, having one very good defensive uh, forward line that also has the ability to score, but not just as much. 
um, I think could be very useful. And that would be easier to do money wise because they are paid less when they score less, even if they're very good defensively. It kind of leads into the next thing where they need someone who can kind of establish the offensive zone of scoring presence. Cause a lot of, particularly the jets in this series, they weren't, they were, the, yeah, they were the better team. They won the series and they swept the series. They had the, the Oilers number, especially in terms of how they matched up against them. I think with the Oilers, it was with the jets. They were like, Oh, you guys are going to try to beat us on the odd, on the odd man rushes with McDavid and dry settle. Let's just, let's just play. Let's just play tough on the blue line, force you to take terrible angles to the net. And then if you, when you guys get shots from poor angles, Hellebuck's going to make those saves. I think they realized like we could, we could figure out, we could figure out how to win this series based on the players we have, which I think, which they do have on that, on that team. And they were able to make those adjustments, especially to utilize uh, the Oilers speed and skating and like ability to create an odd man rushes, I think. So and that's really the part with that. So I, I don't necessarily know about the whole, uh, the whole series, but I know in the last game, um, in, in game four, that for essentially the in, most of the overtime, that was, um, it was all, all Oilers. Possession was essentially for both overtime periods in the third period of that game and and most of the third overtime period until the uh, Jets scored was sustained or semi-sustained pressure by the Oilers and then it'd be a clear and it'd come right on back. Um, and so and maybe a shot and then come right on back. But especially in that second overtime and they got in that in the end they got one run and they scored on it the jets um that's why i was throughout those overtimes i was like eventually a puck's gonna go the oilers way given this pressure but over the series i do kind of agree it was more of a possession game favoring the jets um well also i mean i mean that's the uh, the irony is that yeah, the Oilers were kind of forced to establish the offense zone, and they really, they really couldn't, they couldn't effectively score from that from those situations because they weren't establishing those those plays in the odd man. Ironically, the the goal that the that the Jets scored, McDavid had uh, the chance to, um, to break through the neutral zone, but Neil Pionk stole the puck and then sent it the other way for a um, for a Kyle Connor goal. I think, I mean, it's more than that. Also, I mean. There's also the part on the offensive, on the offensive end of the ice, and that's really the other part. I think the Jets, I think we a lot of people discredit the Jets, especially for their late season struggles. I think the big thing is you talk about a good top line, Nikolai Ehlers coming back, and that was that was something that uh, I sort of agree the because they kind of did win the first two games without him. Um, yes, he had a huge role in Game Three. He played and Game huge- Four also, I think. Um, but just, I mean, just it's it's not just it's not just him scoring. Uh, it's the fact that like he he you he boosts that top line, and then the rest of the unit is easier to figure out. Also, and uh, and it's not just twenty one goals that like oh they have to replace that. It's just that extra 
an extra presence on the offensive end, which is yeah. just like. So I, I I agree, and I think a lot of people, because what you saw happen with them essentially was, and this happens to teams often. If they clinch early enough, um, you see performances oftentimes decline in the back end because once they're clinched, it, it's a met like a subconscious subconscious mental thing where they just don't compete as well. Yes, I think a part of it was not having Nikolai Yedlers, but I think a part of it was we clinched. So what? They tanked much harder than most when you see that happening, going one in ten in the last eleven games, mm-hmm. but. That was the big surprise was their ability because teams often struggle to rebound from that. And that's why you sometimes see teams who win the president's trophy not do as well in the playoffs because oftentimes it's not a close race in in the terms of a normal length season. Usually one team is you essentially say they have the president's cup long before they officially clinch it. And so, and so you saw this team come back able and perform like they had been before the Nikolai Ehlers trade, which when we were talking about it, then we didn't even know who would be the two and who would be the three seed. Um, And we said it would be a very tough series because of the way they matched up with them. And that's, I think the biggest thing is their ability to, even though they played really bad down the stretch, just be like, cool, we're in the playoffs now kind of thing. Um, is what surprised me the most. I mean, the big thing is, I mean, it was, yeah, there, it was how they matched up against them. Also, yeah, Nikolai Ehlers. And then there's, yeah, you start looking at, I mean, Connor Hellebuck's a playoff goalie, and that's like that part. Uh, my my question is, is you, I think really to just kind of end up, you would agree, I mean, we would agree that the uh, Maple Leafs look poised to advance, uh, even though, I mean, Montreal, it's possible that they pull up a three- I I think Toronto's too good to lose yeah, a three-one. I was kind of wrong. I, I I'll admit I was wrong on this series where I thought Montreal could have pulled the upset after game one. I was like really hyped because I was like, oh, they're gonna actually they won game one. Yeah. Yeah, and then the last three, the last three, especially watching this recent game where it's like once the game got basically once the Maple Leafs scored twice, the game got out of reach. It was officially out of reach. There's no way the Canadians are coming back from a two game. It was like once the Maple Leafs scored two goals, it was like the game is out of reach. There's no way there's yeah. And it, this is how it felt. Like Carey Price again. You feel sorry for him. He had made the save potentially the save of the year, and it's like he just he just like. Every it's like, it feels like the same story. It's like where he, he gives them the Canadians the best effort. He gives them all to... he's got, but in the last several years, the Canadians teams around him have just not been good. And like he's won multiple Vesnas and not even and like not made it to the playoffs in some of those Vesna years. Um, yeah. which which are which is an astounding thing to think about. Um it speaks volumes to how good Carey Price is. It speaks volumes to how good Carey Price is, but also speaks volumes to how bad. Because if a goalie's winning a, a, a Vesna, which means not many goals are being scored, so you don't need to score that many to win, um, and just not being able to, I think it's a thing with the whole team. They haven't had a premier offensive talent in, I can't remember the last, really. Like, you talk about their defensive players, more more yeah. so they've had some good 
offensive defenseman, but in the grand scheme of things, they haven't really had a big I offensive mean, player in a while. They also just they, they lack scoring on the back end. Like they 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 just they they don't have those. I mean, they just don't have a they just their offense is really you could see it looks how it looks hapless in this series. I guess really the final question is assuming Toronto wins, uh they're gonna play the Jets. Would you give the edge to Toronto right now based on how the Jets have played, or would you still, or would you change it and say that, say the Jets, like just based on, like, it's not a, or I guess you'd say early prediction. Uh, so I don't know. So I, I assume the Toronto will win the next game they play. Um, so I, I, I'm essentially in my head breaking down, okay, this is Toronto versus uh, Winnipeg. Versus Winnipeg. I, I said this beforehand. Um, before this, we all changed our minds when Winnipeg had a terrible 11-12 game stretch. Um, and so I think they may – we, we both said this. They made, matched up really well against both Edmonton and Toronto because I think Toronto's biggest thing is Mitch Marner and – Austin Matthews. Uh, and Austin Matthews. And I think the ability and the way in particular that the Jets play um, defensively and offensive defensively um, is a thing that I think can, can get under Matthews skin. And honestly, Mitch Marner is much less effective when Matthews is not, I think it's more Matthews makes Marner. Like he Marner's very good. Yeah. But Matthews puts it over the top. Yes. And so I think I think they can they do have the ability to take it away. So I think it's gonna be a tight series. Um I, I think it's I I'd probably call Jets in uh, Jets in six. I mean, I'm also I'm leaning a bit more towards towards the Jets. I mean Jets in seven. Let me correct that. Jets in seven. <laughs> I'm leaning a bit more. I'm not. I'm not. I think this is going to be a great series, or it will be a great series regardless. Assuming Toronto is going to win and advance, which is a safer bet, considering after watching Game Five, you feel very confident in that bet. But uh, it's uh, it's going to be a great series. I think it's going to be more interesting because I think Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg's defense. It's going to get into Matthews' head, but it's going to be a bit different. It's going to be a bit different compared to the way McDavid and Drysaddle play. But uh, that it's going to, the exciting matchup also is the um, the scoring depth of Winnipeg, which we see at which we when when it's healthy, which it is at full display uh, against the Jet the Leafs defense, which has been very good this season. It's also been a deep unit this year, and I think that that would be that will be exciting matchup to watch just on that on that regard alone uh so i guess i guess that's all all the time we have for today uh any i guess any closing statements uh uh, other than just like uh get excited for uh three game sixes right yeah kind of the first round can is quickly coming to an end yeah and second round's gonna only be that much more exciting i would think with the matchups that we're gonna have so thank you for uh, listening. Uh, please like and share our show. Our show. We hope you enjoyed. Thank you very much.